Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On this episode, I am joined by Forrester, Hunter, and my longtime friend, Kenny Kane. Kenny has grown up in the forestry business and has a love for hunting and wildlife. We discuss the history of timber cutting and forest management in Pennsylvania, gypsy moss affecting the oak trees, public lands open to public private lands open to public hunting, how timber cuts are managed for forests and deer. So this episode is brought to you by Spartan Forge and the Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. The new app will include GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. The app will be available in the App Store anytime now. They've had a minor issue with the new approval changes last week in uh, the Apple App Store, but it'll be ready to go soon. And you can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off of the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. I am running this pretty much the same setup as last year with the Phantom Saddle and the Predator platform. And the only thing has changed out where I'm using the new smaller 8mm ropes on my setup been doing some practicing with it and I, I love the smaller ropes they fit so much nicer into the the bags on my saddle they're just uh they're pretty nice and really simple there so maven optics so maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model they want to create the best optics for the job period their products are back with a lifetime no fault warranty and an incredible customer experience i'm using the b3 8x30 binoculars in all my whitetail hunts it's super lightweight making you feel like they're not even there and does really well in low light for that small package you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And lastly, Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join me on Go Wild today and you'll get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards and you can now see my complete, complete gear setups online. And you can join uh, at download, and you can join the download at timetogowild.com. And you can also just go into your app store, and the Go Wild app is there as well. Use the code East Meets West to save 10% off of all hunting gear on the website. So definitely check that out. All right. So, in other news, uh, I got some new hats available if you've seen um, on Instagram or any of the social media platforms a hunt a hat that I was wearing on the Colorado hunt um, which is the new rut hats and these are probably my favorite hats that that uh, have come out with to this point and have definitely created a lot of buzz they are now live on the website I've had a huge struggle the last year and a half with um, just trying to get hats and shirts in stock so i apologize if you see things online that aren't in stock but um with covid being an excuse on that um just struggling everything's been out of stock some things are six to eight month lead times it's just incredible trying to to get apparel right now and i know it's that way with a lot of things but it's uh it's been a struggle but the hats are available i have a, a decent amount of them in stock so um Go over there and check them out, and I'd love to ship them out to you as soon as possible. Uh, in other news, I did find out, so I wanted to um, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit, just briefly, on 
Um, the altitude sickness that I had out in Colorado and kind of, I was trying to figure out, I know the altitude can affect anybody at any time, but, uh, there was a little, there was something that made it worse for me that I found out once I got back, still wasn't feeling well and went to the, to my family doctor and found out I had a, a sinus infection for the last three weeks and which reduces oxygen flow and made that uh, definitely worse and probably one of the the leading kind of causes to um, making the altitude that much harder for me there. So uh, I thought I had COVID going into it and I went and got tested, nothing. They tested me in the hospital for COVID when I was in the ER, nothing. And, um, so it ended up being a sinus infection, which I do get from time to time. Um, definitely makes sense. I probably sound even still a little nasally now, but, uh, just wanted to put that out there this weekend. I got to get out in the woods, do some camera checks. And, uh, I climbed one of my sets that I plan on hunting. Cause I was just kind of concerned on what height I needed to be at to clear some branches and everything. So I didn't, yeah, so I'd be at the right height so I could be either underneath or above some branches for the shooting lanes there since I can't do any cutting. And it, um, it was good. My dad went in there with me, um, which was nice to get his eyes. That was his first time in this area that I've been, been hunting and, and getting his opinion and kind of look at things and cameras very happy with the camera pulls. Um, I was pretty disappointed. The one apple tree that I'd found that was a remote apple tree was loaded with apples in August. So excited about it. And it lost all its apples already. So, and all of the trees that I've found in this particular area lost all of their apples. So I can't rely on that. Um, no acorns, uh, this year, the spot does have oak trees, but nothing, no acorns. Um, but there is beech nuts, and they seem to be hitting those um, pretty good. So that's the only really, um, I guess, early season food that I found that was was real, not really promising, but it had the, the most effect on what I saw. So I am going to branch out to some other areas, and hopefully here before the season I only got a couple days this week. Maybe I can get out after work and uh, check them out that I know some apple trees, see if those have them. Um, and, and uh, yeah, try to make a play for the opening day here, which is in uh, less than two weeks. So it's uh, it's early season can be definitely really difficult in the, in the big woods here. I won't have a whole lot of time to hunt at the, in the beginning. I've got a lot of other stuff going on um, currently with, uh, the business and my regular job and life. So, uh, I won't, won't get as much time early season, which I, I usually don't get a, a whole lot of time. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it, but that's kind of an update for everybody. Um, this week I released the first mountain buck Monday series of the podcast, which is the bonus episode of the week. Um, that is, uh, just quick, 10 to 15, 20 minute, the most episodes covering a specific topic. So check that out. I released that there on Monday. So take a look at those and, um, give me your feedback. With that being said, if you're hunting already, good luck. And I hope you're having a great season and hope everyone has a good rest of your week. All right, we're back. Kenny Kane. How's it going, brother? I'm good, Bo. How are you, man? Good. It's uh, it's funny you and I uh, ran into each other at the Total Archery Challenge there about I don't know a couple months ago, or a little over a month ago now. And I used to see you all the time back in our partying days, but it's been a while. I know it. Unfortunately, we had to grow up a little bit. It's kind of <laughs> sad, but our liver is thanking thanking us. <laughs> I know. I know. It's funny because. It's hilarious because all the people that, you know, used to see, um, you know, we grew up close to each other and everything. And then as we, uh, got older, I guess that changes a little bit. Yeah. It kind of changes. Everyone's buying houses and kids and I'm just worried. I can't even take care of myself. <laughs> I'm struggling myself too. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, um, I guess it was just last week you had reached out to me. You'd seen uh, an article I wrote for Meat Eater about 
private lands that you can hunt and you're a forester. Is that how you, how would yes. you call yourself? Yes. I'm a forester. Okay. So I guess before we go into that, just give me a little background on, on yourself and yeah, just give me a little background on yourself. Yeah. So I'm a forester. I grew up in Kane, Pennsylvania and kind of had a unique situation where my father's a forester work for uh, his company and we're generations forestry a consulting forestry company mainly focusing on private land management we do a fair amount of work for uh, public ownerships the state uh, game commission forest service but predominantly private ownership from a small family ownership of five to ten acres to investment companies that own tens of thousands of acres mm-hmm. so we have a pretty unique uh, client base which is fun you know, things change every day at work. It makes it very fun. Yeah. So what's, what's that look like? So when, when you say the, you know, the type of company that you are, what, for anyone that's listening, what, what do you guys do? So what we do is, uh, we'll do forest inventories. If you own a property, come out and, uh, take data on the trees scattered, you know, do a point sample data, what we call where we do a forest inventory, where we take points scattered throughout your uh, property, measure the trees, give them heights, volume, break them down by species, diameter class, and then can compile that data and come up with a volume of what you own, break down on different species and come up with a management plan see what your goals are for the property uh you know are you just focused on hunting are you focused on having a heritage do you just want to look at it do you want to have more birds on your property and so it you know every day it's a new person everyone has a different management goal so keeps you know keeps you moving oh man that's that's awesome. Getting to go out and meet with, you know, whether it's small landowners or big ones and kind of coming up with that plan and seeing it come to life would be pretty sweet. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, just educating people on what they own, the different species, how they grow different, how on one side of the hill you could be loaded with oak trees, but why isn't there any oak trees on the other side? It's, we got to break down the soil, the slope where the sun is, uh, you know, how the stand was harvested once before. So you can look at, you can stand in the forest, look around and it can teach you a history lesson every step of yeah. what was done once before. That's, that's interesting. And, and I know you said it was in the family, but did you go to school for that? I did. I did. So probably how we became friends, met a kid from Johnsonburg in school. Oh, that is how we became friends. Yes. And, and <laughs> still one of my best friends to this day and, things, you know, went downhill fast and then got better. So I went to a small technical school to get an associate's degree, Penn College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, got an associate's degree in forestry and then carried on to Penn State to get a bachelor's degree in forest land management. Okay. Interesting. I I thought I thought when you you just were going to college to party, I didn't know you were learning anything at the same time. I was working on my social skills <laughs> versus my uh social education versus book education. Hey, and it helps. It does help. It does. You got to know how to talk to people. <laughs> exactly. <right>? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, so anyways, uh, it's funny when, 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 when you reached out to me back to talking about that article and you were saying that you were in a meeting and had brought it up about that article to the guys that were a part of it and they were all pumped you know people that are in forest management and logging and everything else because you know i touch a lot about exactly right. what you're doing right. essentially right and i didn't even really i didn't realize that at the time that's exactly what you did i knew you were in forestry of some sort and that was really about it right yeah so i was in a meeting for the kinzu quality deer cooperative which is a very uh unique area in northwestern pennsylvania it it was an area that landowners put this big conglomerate of seventy five thousand contiguous forested acres in uh yeah it's all in mckean county so it's made up of the allegheny national forest ram forest products bradford city water authority the collins pine company cane hardwood and uh now it was formerly a fia property and now it's a uh, conservation forestry property. So these folks in the early 2000s realized that we were struggling at regenerating our timber stands. The deer were, you know, we know that deer are browsers. 
and you know we all hunt and say whoa they just cut some trees there i can you know that's where the deer are so our goal in forestry is managing forests for the future not just some short term make lumber make money that's not our goal you know hence our name generations forestry we focus on managing the forest for generations to come so they had to put something together where it was just across the landscape where the deer were decimating the forest. Just, it was very hard, very expensive. You had to put deer fences up. There were many things that were going in af- before and after a timber harvest to get regeneration for our next forest. So they put together this area where, you know, different types of forests, uh, lots of different forest activities, and just started doing the research of what species were being browsed the hardest by the deer. Uh, And that came to fruition where there was accusations in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s by different uh, groups that said that you're only trying to regenerate black cherry because at the time it was our most valuable tree species. Mm -hmm. But come to find out, deer didn't like black cherry, didn't taste good, but they loved sugar maple ash oak you know red oak white oak chestnut oak any type of oak uh hard maple soft maple so they loved those species just browsing the heck out of them so you could regenerate cherry because they weren't really eating it so we were getting these cherry monocultures and no one you don't want a monoculture in your hardwood timber stand you want to have diversity so that you have a diverse forest, different food sources, different seed crop. And if something comes in, you know, say what we're dealing with now, the emerald ash borer, where it's wiping out every ash tree. If you have a monoculture of ash, you have nothing. Yeah. So, you know, we're struggling at getting diversity or regeneration. So these folks put together these projects where we really tried to shoot a lot of deer, you know, really promoting shooting more doe. Uh, they were one of the first areas to put a voluntary antler restriction on, you know, to try to get more bucks because we knew that before the state of Pennsylvania, yes, we did that. Yes. Yeah. They were, they were one of the big proponents of the antler restriction. Interesting. And, and which was actually both of those things you mentioned are very controversial topics. And like, you know, from, from the outside looking in, or if you're a hunter, you're like, why would you want to kill off all the deer? I'm not going to see any deer and antler restrictions. If you're hunting just for meat, you know, it doesn't seem to make sense, but when you're focusing on the future of it and when you have, I mean, you can talk about way better than I can, but when you have these ridiculous, uh, amounts of deer and a lot of them just for the health of the deer it isn't good first of all but when you're talking about the because there's a uh, the reason for that is just because they don't they're all they're fighting over the same food and they're over browsing and then eventually there's not enough food for them but that also you know goes to the forests themselves yeah and that's where you can talk a little more yeah on that. yeah so i mean truly the deer were eating themselves out of house and home uh we were seeing you know Back when we were younger, it was if you saw eighty and an eighty inch eight point, you were you were that was a big buck. Yeah. Where now, if you shoot a one thirty, it's like that's a good deer, but there's better out there. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing now that it worked, but you know, so they were killing themselves in the habitat. You were finding dead deer scattered throughout the woods, and we were struggling land management trying to get regeneration. You know, because we want to grow more trees. So one, we have a healthy forest so we can keep using our renewable resource, which is one of the greatest things about timber is it's renewable. Yeah. Which, you know, and it creates great deer habitat. No, yeah, definitely. And and like, like I said, it was, if you would have asked me when I was a kid, if I would, would have been a fan of these things, I would have said, hell no, because I liked seeing the deer and i obviously like seeing deer and i i love deer but for the true health of them and then the forest that to keep providing and these renewable resources and and you know the the logging industry and all those different things that feed so many things like this entire thing isn't just one not one facet it's not just right the the wildlife management it's the forest management there's all these different things that all kind of mesh together yes yes i mean that's one of the neat things that we can kind of go back to the education of it 
if, uh, so you go to Penn state for wildlife management, you take a lot of forestry classes Mm -hmm. because it goes hand in hand, forest management, wildlife management. They all go hand in hand where the, we know the best deer habitat is right after a timber harvest takes place. If you're a grouse hunter, you're going into a timber stand that's just been harvested from two years ago up to 10 years ago into that early successional habitat. You have the food, you have the cover. And so that that's where you're going to go. And that was all created by a timber harvest. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, and before we go into like the, s- some more about the, the deer habitat, I want to kind of go back to the history of what specifically what you know in Pennsylvania, but I'm sure these types of things can apply really anywhere as far as where timber cutting is, is going on. Yeah. So Pennsylvania has a very, very unique forest type. If you look, uh, what well, we have something up here on the Allegheny Plateau known as the Allegheny Hardwoods, which black cherry is that most unique where if you go into the Virginias or down, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line, black cherry is treated as a weed. I met with foresters who were like, ah, oh, you guys from PA, you're the ones that grow that cherry. We get rid of that crap so we can grow some more pine. It's just very different. So, and how it got here was quite a story where in, at the turn of the century in the industrial revolution, early 1900s, the entire state of Pennsylvania was one big clear cut, literally from one end to the other, every tree was cut timber was floated down the Susquehanna river valley, Allegheny river valley, and it was just decimated. And so with that, those, the tree species that were predominantly here were hemlock and white pine. So that's what they use. The white pine was actually used a lot in ship masts. So is that, what type of forest is that? Uh, the conifer forest. The conifer forest. Yep. Okay. Where now we have a deciduous forest. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. And depending on where you are in PA in particular, and this carries over to New York, Ohio, uh, into the, you know, some parts of Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia's West Virginia, uh, where we have these deciduous forests where Pennsylvania in particular, the trees we have and are growing are at, at their, uh, when they're regenerating, they're very shade intolerant. So they need a lot of sunlight to grow. Mm-hmm. So at the turn of the century, the massive clear cutting, there was sunlight galore hitting the ground. So, and, and at that time too, there was, there was a mix where in the early 1900s, you would see there was monstrous deer. You can look through, you know, old pictures of huge deer in the early 1900s that we haven't seen until probably today. Yeah. You know, it's just wild. But that time the deer herd started dropping, uh, and with all that sunlight hitting the ground and there was hardwood trees, there was black cherry, red oak, white oak, maple scattered throughout, but they seeded in and with all the sunlight, they were able to start growing. And with that, so now we've had a shift in the timber that we were growing a hundred years ago to what we have now. Okay. And when, um, so like, I, I guess, what I would picture this as is when I was earlier this summer, I was up in Northern Michigan and that seemed like more of a, like a lot more pine and some of those other types of softwoods and things versus, you know, here that we have these mixtures. I mean, we still have pine and a lot of pine and hemlock and and the diversity that you were discussing about earlier. Yeah. We have a lot of diversity, which is, I kind of think Pennsylvania is one of the coolest forest types and the most unique. I mean, Uh, You can get down into the Southern Appalachian region and they can grow some monstrous red oak. But if you talk to a log buyer, our red oak's not as big up here, but it's nicer because it has a shorter growing season. So it has more character in the wood where it has not as uniform where if you could look, if you look at the growth rings of a Tennessee red oak, they're huge. Our growth rings are a little tighter. So we can grow a little bit more higher quality wood. Gotcha. Even though it's the same species, the quality of it's different. Interesting, just because of the shorter growing seasons. Yep, the shorter growing seasons. Huh. I you know, I I didn't I didn't know that either, really understand that there was a difference between that and how the rings were spread yep. apart and and okay, so this may be sound dumb but completely off the wall. When you're so like if you're 
cut a piece of wood and you're looking at it and sometimes the growth rings are shorter closer together and sometimes they're bigger is that dependent on the year and the weather yes it can there's multiple things so depending on how many folks are from you know pa southern tier new york listening to this uh or there's a gypsy moth infestation this year if anyone saw that you see trees that are defoliated where it's the middle of june and there's not a leaf to be found it's like what's going on it looks like november out here so, yes, the growth rings will be based on, you know, how good the growing season is. Is it a very, very wet season? Is it a sunny season? Is it a dry season? How long did winter last? How early did winter start? And then you can run into things, was a, was there a bug infestation? Where if the gypsy moths come in and defoliate all the leaves, the trees are focusing growing another batch of leaves, so they aren't focusing on growth. You know, okay. putting it in layman's terms. Yep. Oh, yeah, and, and someone had reached out to me uh, not that long ago and asked me about the gypsy moss and asked yes. me if it was affecting, you know, my yes. areas, and yeah. stuff, especially with the oak trees. Yes, they're predominantly, they'll go after the oak first. White oaks are A number one. <laughs> so everyone knows you want to hunt a white oak stand. Yeah. It might be a rough year, depending on, but I've seen it where you're standing on one hillside on the same property, look across to the other, green and lush and beautiful. So it, next year could be a possibly pretty bad year for gypsy moths. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're a native species. They aren't, they aren't invasive. They're native to here. Okay. But they run on about a, approximately a 10-year cycle. So, And so where do they go during that cycle? Are they just here? They, uh, like- there's different things. So, you know, if you're a forest landowner, it's, you know, if you get infested two to three years in a row, it will kill them. It'll kill your trees. Uh, so there's pesticide projects that go on where they'll the uh, this year the DCNR the Game Commission the Allegheny National Forest did a spray program with helicopters and air, airplanes focusing on those stands to get rid of the gypsy moths. And there's also a there's a fungus and a virus that will naturally keep them in check. COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. <laughs> the Delta the Delta variant. <laughs> <laughs> so that took out the gypsy moss too <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> that makes sense um but so like um but as you were saying nature has these checks and balances so things come back and yep. like they all kind of yeah. balance themselves yeah so i mean we're looking at now like the uh emerald ash borers wiping out the ash well the ash know that they're stressed something's attacking them so we have seen now me i've you know i've been doing this for about 10 years working uh but my father's been doing it for almost 40 so yeah you know he's seen a lot more than me and he goes i've never seen ash regeneration like this in my life and it's a mix of two things the deer herd being in check over the last 10 years and the ash trees being stressed focusing on producing seed like they've been producing more seed than they ever have because they know that they're stressed something's wrong Let's dump some seeds so we can regenerate. Regenerate. Okay. And so um, going back to the the deer herd, um, you were talking to me a little bit before this podcast and how you determine, you know, the deer per square mile and be able to determine if they're in check. Can you explain yeah. that process? Uh, so one of the things that's done uh, is what we call deer pellet survey. Well, you'll take transects, and we do this on the Kinzu Quality Deer Cooperative. Every landowner that's involved, we have a little training seminar. We take volunteers, so if anyone would love to do some pellet surveys, we could use the help because you only can afford to do so much. Yeah. Uh, and the more data we have, the healthier we can create a deer herd. Uh, so with that, you'll take these mile-long transects just going due north, and stopping every X amount of feet. I don't know the exact number. Uh, and then you'll take a plot at your feet. You, I believe it's a six-foot radius plot. And count how many piles of deer poop are in that plot. And write it down. And you'll take other other data of uh, browsing. You know, are you seeing the deer browsing? What species are they browsing? And you'll do those transects and then compile that data and you can figure about how many deer per square mile are on that piece. 
Gotcha. And then that's, you're doing like these, like inside that, the Kinzu cooperative area, that's a mixture of private and public lands. Yes. It's actually more privately owned land than public owned land. Okay. Yeah. And do, do a lot of these privately owned lands, um, do they allow hunting on them or how, how is that? How does that work? Yes, they do. And they promote it. And quite frankly, we need more people hunting on these properties to keep the deer herd in check. But yeah, so uh, for example, Collins Pine, Kane Hardwood, now they're the second largest landowner in the state of Pennsylvania, about 118,000 acres open to public hunting through, and you know, they're predominantly McKean, Forest, Elk, Warren, I believe in Cameron and Potter counties, they own property and they're open to public hunting, public access, just, you know, they open all their roads usually in, uh, or the majority of their roads in September. So people can come in, start hunting, do their archery hunting, their scouting, just no ATVs, side by sides, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some people abuse it and it drives me nuts, but it, we're so lucky that they're willing to open 118,000 acres, to public hunting one, because they care about the public and they want to promote the sport of hunting, you know, so we have that. And so they can manage their properties Yeah. because if they had that locked up or any landowner had that locked up, you wouldn't be able to regenerate a forest. Yeah. And, and I believe, um, and I, I don't know for a fact, but like even in other States, they have similar things that they run. Some of the other places, I think New York has stuff like this. Uh, I know Ohio does mm-hmm. things where these private land. And that's why I wrote this article was discussing these, you know, opportunities that you can have outside of your typical public areas right, to be right. able to, to be able to hunt. And you're, you're, you're meeting a couple goals there. You're able, sometimes a lot of people don't know about it, you know, and you're able to, to be able to hunt those areas. You have good access. Usually they're doing a pretty good job at timber management. Oh, that's absolutely. The whole purpose of it, which with the logging cuts and everything is I've talked about so many times, you got healthier deer herds, you got bigger bodies, leads to bigger antlers. You have everything that's there. The age structure, they've got the... And, and just because like, okay, say Kenny's like, all right, everyone hunt these pieces of property. It's still not a, still not a given. They have this, this, they have the cover and everything to be able to hide and they're still growing. Absolutely. It's a really incredible age class. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's deer that I've chased on the Kinsey quality deer cooperative where it's just so big. It's like, oh, I know this property like the back of my hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Those deer know it a heck of a lot better than we do. Yeah. That I know if someone shot that, all the camps around would find out. It's like that old boy, he he hunkered down and died on his own. Yeah. He wasn't letting me stick an arrow in him. No. <laughs> yeah, because you're a big hunter on your own. So, like, you have, right. you have both both sides of this here. Yes. Yeah, so I, I look at it both hats. I mean, when I was uh, 12 years old, I believe it was 2002 is the first year of the concurrent buck doe season. You know, when uh, Dr. Gary Alt was really pushing deer management and said that our deer herd's out of check, uh, I actually testified in front of the game commission when I was 12, 13, and 14 years old promoting the concurrent deer season. And that was the first time I ever got sweared at by an adult. It's quite <laughs> a thing that people were so against it because they just wanted to see deer behind every tree. And hey, when I'm out hunting, I do too. But it's just they didn't see the long-term effect. Yeah. And, and, you know, now, now we are like, we're, we're seeing, now we're seeing the long-term effect about 20 years later where we're seeing a healthy deer herd. We're seeing a healthy forest, healthy habitat, but it's starting to trickle the other way where the, the deer herd's really rising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting. And another thing that we had talked about beforehand is I had hunted some areas that don't one of the areas don't doesn't even allow timber cutting and some other areas they just i don't know i don't know the reasons or the politics behind why they don't but it was all just mature for us and i'm like oh these areas were super remote and i was getting back in there and that's in pennsylvania and other and other states and i wasn't finding the the quality of deer i right. was looking for and what i realized right away was there wasn't much browse right. because there, there's not that regeneration. The canopy is so big with these mature forests that it's not allowing the sunlight get to get through. Yep. And if there's no, like if there wasn't any acorn crops, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot for those deer Nothing to eat. Nothing for them to eat. No, no. And that's, you know, and we, we need the, 
we need the diversity for the forest so we can teach our next batch of foresters so we can learn from it, see what's happening to have our old growth forest. We need to have those so we can learn from them. Mm -hmm. But a biologist will tell you they're not the best thing for wildlife. And in, in today's world, we're dealing with a mix of people call themselves conservationists, but they're more preservationists. Preservationists, they want to look at it and there it is. And that's how it's going to grow. But it's not going to be that way forever. And uh, kind of going back like to our unique ecosystem in Pennsylvania for the forest ecosystem we have, uh, we'll just pick on black cherry because my hometown, Kane, PA, we're known as the black cherry capital of the world. You know, at one time it was the most valuable tree in the world. Things have faded off, but still our most valuable species that we have today. Uh, the, there's just it's it's interesting because like and again when you when you look at it um it takes you looking at from that perspective because if you're looking at it from the outside in and you're looking at you know the the term the two terms that you just covered there the preservationist versus the conservationist is a big thing and you really gotta you kind of have to check with yourself on what you're looking at there because if you look at a logging cut it doesn't look as pretty Right. Oh, it's, you know what it's, I mean? And, uh, <laughs> and a term my father uses in explaining clients is, uh, it's like getting open heart surgery. Something needs to happen. You, the forest needs something to happen. You get open heart surgery, hurts like hell. It's ugly as hell. But after time, it's like, man, I can go on a mile long walk and not be short of breath. And I'm going to be healthier. Like your forest is going to be healthier. It's uglier in hell right after it happens. Yeah. But over time it heals and you're looking better. And back to where I was going with the black cherry is, uh, I had a little brain fart there, but that's all right. So (laughs) with the black cherry, it economically matures at 80 to a hundred years. So it's a fairly short lived tree species and it biologically matures at 120 to 150 years. So if we look back, the major clear cutting took place in, you know, state of PA, early 1900s. It's 2020. Where 2021. 20 Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of, you know, with COVID, I kind of skipped the year. So it's 2021. So our forests are in that, you know, 120 year age class. We're past economic maturity and reaching that biologic maturity. So timber harvest and you know forest management needs to take place so we can start regenerating our next crop our you know yeah forestry is agriculture the u.s forest service is in the usda united states department of agriculture you know forestry is a bit of farming other than a farmer rotates on a you know does crop rotation yearly we're just on a hundred year rotation yeah (laughs) so it's it's pretty unique oh that's that's an interesting way of putting it yeah (laughs) <laughs> so like, all right. So when you're, I know you said you're trying to like manage for diversity, but kind of like explain, like if you're looking at a, maybe I'm not going to phrase this question correctly, but maybe you can get me on track. But like, if you're looking at a piece of property, what, what is your goal with it? Like for cutting and like, say a large piece, say, I don't even know how many thousands of acres, but like a giant piece, are you, you know, are you going through and you're cutting, trying to cut a lot of it at once you trying to cut like make stages for it like how does that work yeah so you look at it and you're gonna first look at you know when i first step onto a property i'm looking at a couple things i'm looking at a straight across as i'm standing here at six foot four i look across okay what's my species composition what am i is there more cherry more maple more oak more birch which is a whole nother can of worms that we're dealing with today uh what the species composition is. Then I'm looking down at my feet. You know, what, what's growing? Is there regeneration started? Do we have a, a fern problem? Now we're dealing with invasives of glossy buckthorn, which is something that's a battle that we're losing. It's hard, you know. So what are you dealing with on the forest floor? Do you have good regeneration? Do you have invasives? Do you have fern, grass, other things? Then I'm looking up top. Okay, what's the health of the canopy? Is it, you know, do we have good leaf cover? Uh, You know, do we have some dieback? So you're looking at different things, and then you can start basing on what needs to happen. Like, okay, do we need to start prepping to start the next forest or hey this is this is a young stand this this stand wasn't cut maybe till the 
1920s, 30s, we can go do a, go in and do a thinning to try to promote growth of the best trees. Where there's different sayings that people have used where there's been a lot of high grading through the, what we call high grading, where you uh, take the best, leave the rest. And it's <laughs> kind of a myth of folks think you go into a stand of timber and, well, I'm going to go cut all the big ones because the little ones are going to grow. Well, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, because now they're going to have the sunlight, they're going to have the nutrients from the soil, but we could give you all the food in the world, but you're not going to be six foot four like me. I, <laughs> I, I can dream. Can you I? can dream, but you aren't <laughs> going to get there. So, you know, trees, it, it's genetics and trees. So we go in and we try to promote what's best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's going to grow best on this site? What can we, you know, what seed source do we want to leave? What do we want to get rid of? Uh, you know, a big thing that we deal with daily is dealing with black birch. Uh, unfortunately, American beach now that, you know, which was a great food source. But now with the beach scale nectar complex, someone looks at a beach and you see this like white pubescence has the beach scale. So it's going to kill it and beach root suckers. So if you walk through the woods, you see a beach and all of a sudden there's just beach brush everywhere, thicker and dog yeah. hair. And that's something that we deal with every day. Cause it's, it's not going to grow like it used to because of that beach scale. Okay. I wonder, cause there's, there's places that I've hunted that are just like, it just seems like infested with beach brush and it's infested. Yeah. Yes. So we were talking about a property in particular where you said, wow, they're, they're cutting the hell out of that. And a lot of what that was, was we're cutting the beach we're and we're in there harvesting it and not one saw log tree is going to come out of that stand. Every saw log is standing there, but because of the beach scale and past, I don't want to say it's a derogatory to say management because it wasn't managed because of the last harvesting that was done there and it wasn't managed properly. Uh, we're now going in and doing this whole tree chipping operation where we're cutting all the junk we're specking out all the beach all the uh birch and marking all the other species that won't grow into a log tree we're getting rid of them chipping them sending them down to the paper mill in johnsonburg so we're getting rid of the undesirables to promote the regeneration that we want of you know in that stand in particular hard maple soft maple ash tulip poplar uh black cherry there's a little bit of oak there, but it's just not an oak growing site. So we're trying to promote that regeneration. So we're doing, we're creating habitat. We're utilizing a renewable resource and we're creating jobs down the road in Johnsonburg feeding the paper mill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, and so that, okay. I think you kind of explained it there, but I've noticed like in general, there's not as many like full on clear cuts. Like you mean there's, there's a lot more of like the select type yeah, cuts. And uh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of the select harvest going on and you know, the, the clear cutting goes into starting the forest over. So we, people don't just go in and clear cut everything. If they're managing properly, they'll go in, get rid of the junk, get rid of the undesirables. And what we'll set up something, what we call a shelter wood where we're spacing trees out, not promoting growth. Because like I said a little bit ago was our trees are at that. We're, we're at that economic biologic maturity. Their growth isn't the main goal. Our main goal now is regeneration. So we want to get rid of the junk, open up the forest floor, uh, leave a good diversity of seed trees scattered throughout. And then, you know, prep. So that would be, you know, the first, uh, you know, the shelter would be one of those stands that you go in to be like, wow, they, they cut this. I can hunt this, but there, I'm still seeing when I stand here, I can look around and about there's 10 to 12 trees every, you know, within 25, 40 feet of me. So that's our shelter wood stage where we're opening up the canopy. So we're prepping for the clear cut. Okay. So I, I've noticed like, I saw this on like the PA game commission's mapping service mm-hmm. they have online and you yep. click on the type of clear cut that they have and it'll say shelter wood. And I never knew exactly what that meant. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so like after it's like in that phase, how long does it typically take for you to actually do the cut? So then it's usually about 
five to six years is is the is the goal if it responds how we want. Yeah. I mean, there's multiple sitting out there. So it gives it time for it to be able to seed. Yep. And then you can cut those trees. Yeah. The bigger yes. ones. Okay. Yep. So it seeds in and we do this thing called, you know, the tug test where we start seeing seedlings poking out there, maybe one, two, three, four, five inches tall. And you can just grab on the stem and give them a tug. And if they pull right out, the root structure is not strong enough. We've got to wait. But if you can go through and you can give the tug and the root structure is holding, say, all right, those babies are tough. They're, they're, they're ready to, let's open this up. Let's get these things growing. And within three to five years, you aren't going to walk through there too easy. No, and those are my favorite ones to hunt. <laughs> they're the best. Yeah, because you, the the, you got the food and you have the cover right yes. there for the deer. From that, Yes, that absolutely. You have everything you need in a, you know, it could be a 10 acre, could be a 50 acre, could be a 100, 200 acre stand all right there. Yeah. They don't have to move. Yeah, which makes it tough and good. Like, you know the deer there. It's yeah. Just, it, make, it can make it tough too. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so from a, from a deer perspective, looking at like the ages and the types of cuts, kind of give me a rundown of what you see like as far as like how the deer are using them from uh, just from their feeding perspective and a, and a hunting perspective as well. So usually the say a timber harvest takes place uh, during the winter time. Yep. The deer are there immediately. Yep. They're in there browsing tops and, you know, they're eating the buds off the tops. They're hunky dory. They got some nice bedding. They're, you know, laying down in the treetops. But usually one year, two year after, you'll see activity still for another year. Two years after it may start slowing down as, you know, if there's enough cover in there to protect the regeneration, enough treetops in there to protect them, it's like, oh man, there's a there's a lot of work to get into this stuff. I'm gonna go find another place to eat. You know, deer like us, there's we aren't gonna go wading through a big mess of people to get a sandwich. We're gonna be like, oh, I'll go over there to that shorter line. Yeah, if you're looking at Burger King and Taco Bell, and Burger King's got a line out to the road. Taco Bell, it's pre- it's still pretty good, you know. Right. It's just, but there's a shorter line, so right. that's where you shorter go. line, easier to get to. Boom, yeah, that's where I'm going. Yep. You know, and the deer are a lot like that, where, you know, then you get two, three, four years after, you know, it's about depending on how tall you are, knee high to head high. <laughs> you know, is where where the browse line is. <laughs> head it's, high on me, knee high on you. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, <laughs> and then you can get into that five, six, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year range where it's over the browse line. The deer will come in there in bed, but there's not the food because it, it outgrew them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's kind of spaces them out where they're at. And a lot of these timber companies and, you know, the, the game commission forest service, the DCNR are posting where, where these harvests are taking place, like promoting hunters to come, you know, Hey, come, come here, yep. come hunt here. You know, and that's, I hate when they highlight my areas. Like, right. Oh yeah, me too. It's like, oh, we just <laughs> for did a timber harvest. Yeah. It's like, oh, we just did a timber harvest for, you know, this client. And I'm like, oh, I hunt on this property. I don't know if I, maybe I'll just skip that piece of paperwork so people don't come hunt there. Yeah. But no, I don't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, and that again, like, you know, back to the uh, privately owned public hunting access, you know, the one unique thing about Pennsylvania is there's. 17 million acres of privately owned timberland in Pennsylvania. It made up of over 700,000 landowners. So 70%, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, there's about 23, let's get this right. I think about 23 million uh, forested acres in the state of PA. 17 million of it is privately owned. Five million of it is publicly owned. That's the Forest Service, the DCNR, the Game Commission. You know, we go out to these game lands in the state forest and the Forest Service, like, whoa, this goes forever and ever and ever. But the rest of the state's privately owned. And a lot of it, we, you know, I can say we, as a land manager, we need folks hunting these privately owned areas so that we can keep managing the forest for the future. Yep. Yeah, and that's and and that's where like some of the and and you can speak on this more than I can again, but like 
some of it is posted right on the gates that'll say, you know, open to public hunting. Yes. And then there'll be others that aren't as easy to read. Some you yep. can find online that's like right on their website. It'll say, you know, they'll have a whole section that has to do with open to public hunting. Yep. Some, it just takes a phone call or an email and you can Absolutely. get access. Absolutely. And that's, you know, uh, like in your article, you posted about Onyx Hunt. Yep. As a forester, it is required that everyone in our company has Onyx Hunt. Because one, it makes it so much easier for us if we're, oh man, we're going to meet with a new client. I can just bust my phone open, like, okay, I'm on the right track. And yeah, okay, now I can start locating boundary lines. And, you know, there's a lot of hunt hunting leases. They're growing like wildfire in Pennsylvania, which it's a pro, it's yeah. a con. You know, sometimes you need that to get deer harvested on your property and two it's expensive to own land. Yeah. You know, you got to pay taxes every year and you know, it's, it's a business. So, and I see both sides of it, you know, managing hunting leases, managing properties that folks own just for hunting and managing properties that are, they're, you know, managing for forests that are open to public hunting. There's, you got to wear many hats Yeah, and it's, there's pros and cons to all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, 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 totally makes sense and it's just it is so cool that we do have that opportunity especially in pennsylvania that absolutely i don't know how it's like in other states but i feel like we're pretty lucky yeah and i i just like i i don't remember who i was talking to this about but like we're younger like i felt like you just go hunting anywhere and there was like because my dad had known like you know what pieces were public i just thought it was all just open to you know right open, like public land but a lot of it was private that's open to public hunting absolutely i mean me growing up never uh took part on a hunting lease but every property i i hunted on and grew up hunting with my dad i'm like oh i can i can just go hunt anywhere because we'd hunt on our clients properties that were open to public hunting where i'm like well everyone lets everyone hunt on their yeah. property you know and it was as i grew and matured and got you know started learning more i'm like oh wait these are these people are awesome yeah they're letting a, they could wrap this up lease it up and they're letting us hunt there for free and all we have to do is respect them and not ride in on a four-wheeler yeah and you have free range of thousands and thousands of acres of hunting and and, you know, a lot of it, there's a few bad people that ruined it for a lot where it's like, huh, it's not worth patrolling this. You know, the yeah. game commission can only do so much patrolling. The state police can only do so much patrolling. And, you know, I'm just going to lease it because people don't respect it. Yeah. I mean, so the, those landowners that allow public hunting, I mean, you can't thank them enough. Thank them enough yeah. for what they do. It's It's unbelievable. Oh, definitely. I mean, that just I, I should go without saying, although it doesn't, is just respecting right. the property and respecting right. the, the landowners that right. have that, whether that's a um, a timber management company or an investment group or a, yep. an oil and gas company or whatever it might be that yeah. owns these these properties yeah. that allow the public hunting. Yep, yep. And, you know, you can get on Onyx and find a big piece and be like, well, I drove out there and, man, there were some old rickety raggedy posted signs, but no one's updated them. Maybe that piece is open. Well, let me scroll through, see who owns it, make a phone call. I mean, and there's other things. There's organizations, one that I'm involved in, the Association of Consulting Foresters. We manage private timberland all across the state of Pennsylvania. And, you know, and there, and this is a nationwide organization, you know, whether you're in Oregon to Washington to Texas to wherever, and you don't know if a piece is posted and you can go into, uh, the association of consulting foresters website and go to find a forester find you know and say where you know where you're from find a forester and you can just call and say hey kenny uh i found this piece can i can i hunt there and I say well geez i don't leo and i can maybe it's a piece i manage maybe it's a piece that uh, a friend of mine manages and i can say yeah you you can hunt there you know and so there's a lot of ways that you can find public access to private land yeah and and just just an FYI, Kenny is my own personal consultant on this, and no one else can call him or ask him for that. Yeah, 
Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> You're like, how deep's your pocket? <laughs> yeah, how deep's the pocket? These beers are very good, so they, you know, they go a long way. Yeah, those are those those ones that uh, from Kip's company, the Big Truck Farms. There, you got the half cab IPA there. Yeah, I love it. This it's is got great. a cool picture on it. Too. Right, I love having the Bronco on there. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> it flows good. <laughs> no, that's uh, it, I don't know. I I just love the idea. I don't know a whole lot about forestry and stuff from as you know as a deer hunter learning the forest learning the tree types learning how all the management goes i mean it goes hand in hand 100%. and i didn't know that until like really the last i don't know five or six years i've really tried to like pay attention to it more and understand right. it right and it's uh it's it, it all like i said it all goes hand in hand yep and uh so our organization and team with the Allegheny National Forest, the DCNR, and Kane uh, Area School District. One of our clients, the Bradford City Water Authority, who allows public hunting on their property. Uh, we did an educational thing for the Kane uh, eighth grade science class where we take them out in the woods and give them an education on, on forestry and wildlife. And we'd take the kids out to a stand that hasn't been harvested, a stand that was harvested about four or five years ago and then a stand that was harvested 20 years ago so we're showing them all the steps of it and just looking at the birds so if you want to see the birds we'd set the uh we had the wildlife biologists from the anf out there set traps so you could see how many birds would be in this area the majority of the birds were in where the timber harvest take were taking place in the early successional habitat so it just yeah, it just really shows, and it's funny because like I, I've mostly because my mind goes to deer, but we've talked about deer, but that's not just deer that this helps. You talk not about just grouse, you're talking grouse. about everything, right? Right, and the rough grouse society right now is really making it push because the grouse are struggling. It's a mix of what's going on with the West Nile virus. It's a mix of the lack of habitat. We're we're running out of early successional forests where we need to have a mix a mix in the age structure of our forests so that we can accommodate the wildlife and keep a good rotation going where, you know, we have a, at the turn of the century when all the state was clear cut, we now create an even aged forest throughout the state. So we need to have good balance throughout different age classes so that we can keep a healthy ecosystem, not just for, you know, not just timber revenue, but for wildlife and everyone. Yeah, no, you you said it, and it's funny because I say it in a different way to people. But I always talk about diversity. Like when I'm looking at when I'm looking at a map and I'm looking and trying to find a place to hunt, I'm looking for habitat diversity. Absolutely. When I'm looking at the aerial. I'm looking for train diversity. I'm looking at habitat diversity and trying to find that. And you, you know, you're talking about that in the management structure, with right? It. It just, it makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I walk into a stand and uh, there's another property we manage in particular, just their age structure was out of whack because it was all mature timber, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. But you ha we had to get aggressive, which, you know, we got some evil eyes over it. But after educating and showing and, you know, we couldn't regenerate anything because the little bit of regeneration was there. The deer would just flock to it, browse the hell out of it, and it would die off. So it's it's a major thing to have species diversity, have age class diversity, and makes a healthy forest, have healthy wildlife, and in this case, healthy deer. Yeah. And w one thing you said earlier I wanted to just touch on real quick was – you and I talked about it beforehand, but when, say when the loggers leave treetops down, yes. explain that process. Yeah. So it used to be back in the day, you had to leave tops down when the deer herd was out of whack because it creates like a, a natural fence. I mean, we've all seen deer fences scattered throughout the woods after a timber harvest. Those are there to keep the deer out. So with that, you know, having more cover on the ground, more debris on the ground, treetops on the ground, you're protecting that regeneration. And then after it's done protecting the regeneration, it, you know, degrades into the soil, creates new soil, and it just keeps going back into the ecosystem. But 
I had to explain a, a logger I work with daily. He was just so upset. He was cutting a block next to another guy. I can't believe it. This is such an awful job. It's such an awful job. And there were tops and stuff. Every, it was thick. It was nasty. It was. I didn't want to walk through it. I got to do it every day. I don't want to do it again. Yeah. And I had to explain to him. Then he looked at his job. It looked like a park. It was beautiful. He's an excellent logger. It's beautiful. And I said, ah, let me show you something. I said, let's look at yours. Let's look at the one that you cut two years ago at the same time he was cutting his two years ago. I said, we can see 250 yards across your block. He goes, and and he pulls every stick of wood so we can, you know, send it to the paper mill. And I understand where he's coming from for utilizing every product that tree gives us, which it deserves that. Where this other logger, he goes, ah, I'm not pulling that pulp wood. I'm not doing it. It's not worth it to me. But so this guy's looking at it. Well, I cut that tree. I should get paid for it. This guy cuts a tree and he's creating more habitat. So I said, you're pulling all this wood, all this stuff out. But I said, we can't get any regeneration. I said, look. Because the deer are just mowing it out. The deer are just mowing it down. It's It's like like a food plot. Oh, it is. It's like being at a buffet. It's It's a natural food plot that's amazing where the guy next, you know, cutting the block next door, there was tops. It was thick. It was nasty. And the deer said, screw that. Yeah. I'm going to this one. It's like a Saturday night at the club with no cover charge. It's just wide open. Right. I mean, it is all-inclusive. Yep. (laughs) All-inclusive. I guess it'd be like the deer's version of Cancun. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) I like it. Um, So, Kenny, is there anything else you can think of that we didn't cover, I didn't ask you, that you think would be a good point to cover on here? I mean, really just the promotion and uh, the gratitude that we all should have to those companies that allow, that are privately owned landowners that allow public hunting access. You just, you can't thank them enough. And I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I I have to say is I feel like in, in modern modern time there's a very big public land push and we are so lucky to have the public land that we have today you know for for everything but there's a the private landowners are economic drivers they're research drivers a lot of re, you know a lot of folks think in this region just because you own property you're putting money in your pocket you're spending a lot of money landowners are doing crazy research projects from uh fertilization to spraying fungicide as to wondering why black cherry leaves are falling off so early spraying fungicide spending tens of thousands of dollars getting helicopters up here to spray a fungicide project that could have been profit but they said no we need to know what's going on with our forest so we can keep having a healthy forest and then they allowed us to come hunt there you know, so they can keep managing for us. And we just have to respect them. If they, you know, if they don't want four wheelers and side by sides and everything in there, then don't, we got, we got e-bikes now (laughs) or just pedal or hike or, you know, and, and it's tough with the, uh, you know, the forests are in a changing age class and our hunters are in a changing age class where I'm sure when all of our parents were hunting, everyone hunted. Yeah. When we started hunting, hunting, everyone started, but how many still hunt today? No, not not as many as you not, would think. Not especially enough. for a rural region, right? You know, where right. we're at. Yeah, not enough. It's okay. Yeah, that's that totally makes sense. And yeah, I I I agree with your statement about just you know being appreciative of those yeah. landowners, and those big companies. You might might be a big company and might not ever be able to physically thank them, but be appreciative of it, be yes. respectful of the land and do what you can. So with the, with the Kinzu Cooperative Deer Management, is that how yeah, that's? Kinzu Quality Deer Cooperative. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I was getting that mixed up. <laughs> is there any way, like, as far as, if, if say, someone wanted to get involved or be able to support that is there any ability for that yes there is i mean probably the easiest way would be uh you could contact me in particular uh there's other volunteers from uh collins pine company the u.s forest service uh bradford city water authority which they'll send you back to me so you know you can look up generations forestry online and hunt down kenny kane uh or you know find me on instagram or whatever and 
I'll point you in the right direction. I mean, if folks wanted to take pellet counts, if people just wanted to learn about these properties, I mean, get a map and, you know, yeah, show your recent harvest because, yeah, I don't want to give away my spots because I hunt these places, but I know what's going on on the ground and would point you in the right direction. Yeah, and, yeah, bigger picture stuff. Bigger picture stuff. Can't look at it just, oh, I'm not going to tell you where I got pictures of deer. <laughs> but I'll show you where you can access the property, how you can get in, Yeah, different things that take place. So what, what if someone wanted to reach out to you on Instagram, what is your handle on there? At Ken J. Kane. Ken J. Kane, okay. Yes. Kenny Kane from Kane, PA. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Kenny, thanks for hey, coming th- over to my house and yes. uh, hanging out with me. Appreciate yeah, thank it. you, Bo, reading that article and, uh, you know, opening the uh, meat eater email and seeing, you know, privately owned lands with pum- public hunting access from Bo Martonic. I said, that is the greatest thing I have seen in quite some time. <laughs> Love to see it. Well, appreciate it, dude. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.